Okay, good morning, uh, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Mirrigan Unmanned Systems podcast titled Drones for Good. Uh, my name's Andrew Crow, and I'm the host of the podcast, and today uh, I'm extremely uh, excited and happy to have along Lieutenant Colonel Kieran Joyce. Welcome this morning, Kieran. Uh, good morning, Andrew and Mirrigan. Hey, um, so in full transparency for our, our listeners, we just recorded a podcast. Uh, we spoke in a bit of detail about the Army drone racing team or the Australian Army drone racing team, which was awesome. Definitely go back and listen to that if you've, uh, if you've missed that one. Um, at the start of that, uh, Kieran sort of gave his background, but I'm going to ask it again in case people miss that podcast. So, um, Kieran, would you mind giving our listeners a bit of background about where you came from, you know, in, into, uh, into ADFA and then how, how did you end up being the SO1 UAS um, operating in Army headquarters? Thanks, Andrew. Um, look, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to say that, uh, that I fell into UAVs. Um, it's, uh, in, in hindsight, it, it's, uh, I'm very proud to say that, but uh, uh, one, 100% committed to the field these days. Um, I, I started um, at ADFA doing an aeronautical engineering degree and back then um, we didn't have drones in Army. All of us aero engines, we went in support of the helicopter capability. So I started in Blackhawks. Um, but then I got the opportunity to be part of the startup crew for the UAV regiment, which was 20th Surveillance and Target Acquisition Regiment. I joined the regiment in 2006 as the first engineering officer, and I have not looked back since. Uh, since, uh, since been working in Army UAVs, I've um, had the pleasure of uh, being involved in the Skylark capability, the Scan Eagle, the Shadow 200, the Black Hornet, the Wasp, the Puma, uh, multi-rotors. Um, it's a really exciting field um, and uh, I love the tempo and how, uh, how fast the technology sector moves. And ultimately, as I've progressed up through those jobs of different ranks and different employments of being in the regiment, in the project office, in Army headquarters, um, I've uh, got myself to this uh, wonderful position where for the last three years, I was the SO1 uh, Staff Officer Grade 1 for Unmanned Aerial Systems, which meant uh, I was the Capability Manager uh, at Army Headquarters for all Army UAS. Awesome. So a few few things um, that come out of that. So firstly, and, and I forgot to mention in the beginning, so this was your previous role. Um, you, you've been the SO1 UAS for the last three years, and, and this year, would you mind just um, quickly telling our listeners what role you're fulfilling? Yeah, now? sure. So, so you're right. This this podcast today is a bit of a retrospect on the last yeah. three years. Um, I've uh, I've very happily been given the opportunity to do a similar job in Air Force headquarters this year. Um, so yes, an army guy working in Air Force headquarters. It's um, <laughs> it's it's very interesting, but it's it's part of the way defence is heading towards a total workforce model. That uh, no matter what uniform you wear, whether you're in uniform or maybe a public servant or maybe a contractor, um, the most appropriate person to do a job is. Uh, yeah, they, they try to pick that person. So uh, I'm now the Deputy Director for Remote Piloted Aircraft Systems in, in Air Force Headquarters this year. So a green uniform operating in a blue uniform headquarters. Yeah, I, I, am, I'm, I like to say I'm the green guy in Smurfland. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's constantly a, a very interesting uh, feeling as I walk into the land of blue every morning. And it's it's uh, it's worth pointing out as well that, that you and I actually worked together back in back in those days of, of two thousand and six. So I had a very similar experience to you where I fell into drones. 
I had a, uh, a short Australian Army officer of Canadian descent um, come and ask whether a few of us wanted to come across and cut our teeth on UAVs, and and you and I um, started working together from from 2006, so you know 14, 14, 15 years ago. It was a great couple of years actually, because uh, and I think in the main because everybody that was there and the, on the majority of the people that were there were all volunteers. We all volunteered mm. to go to this new thing and uh i'm i'm very glad i listened to russ hamsey as well <laughs> <laughs> and it's probably worth pointing out to our listeners as well to kind of close the loop on on some of these um relationships back then that uh the, the first commanding officer of that unit was um phil swinsberg who who some people um may know the name and may know the role and what he's doing at the moment so a lot of us are still kicking around in the unmanned space 15 years later and loving it loving it Hey, so um, so back into and I've titled I've titled this SO one UAS uh, in retrospect. So uh, can you tell us about your role? So what were you focused on doing? What was your team? Who who did you have with you? What were they sort of focused on? What were you trying to do? Yeah, the role of the capability manager um, is uh, is very broad these days. Um, <laughs> so we had the first principles review in uh, in two thousand fifteen, which was implemented in twenty sixteen. And it, uh, it uh, put forward a, a range of reform measures that, uh, that meant that capability managers, uh, the chief of the army, had uh, the people and the processes in place to manage a capability from cradle to grave. Um, uh, that's, that's wrapped up in what we call the capability life cycle. That means that um, a capability from the first moment that it is uh, brought to inception as a, as a concept or as an idea is, uh, is worked up into uh, being a project, is brought into service, is managed in service, and then is disposed of and replaced or enhanced. Um, that cycle is now um, allocated out across nine different programs within Army, so nine different directorates that manage every piece of capability within Army and uh, within the Directorate of Battlefield Aviation uh, sits unmanned aerial systems. So my desk was responsible for the capability lifecycle, for the capability management of everything UAV. So taking every one of our uh, emerging concepts, um, running projects that brought those things into service, uh, managing the sustainment uh, portfolio of those ones that were in service, and, uh, and all the way through to disposal actions and replacement actions as well. Um, to do that, I had a small team. Um, so by the time uh, that three years, it's, so we didn't have a capability manager. We, you know, SO1 Unmanned Aerial Systems didn't exist in 2015, so I was the... I was the first person to get the opportunity to do that job. Um, that was me and one project officer in uh, 2017, and we grew that team because we brought a lot of uh, capability into service over those three years um, to the position at the, uh, in 2020 where um, there are now four people working in that team across the projects and capability management. Um, so it's a pretty broad portfolio. And it includes all of our industry engagement and it includes, uh, if you happen to have a sport uh, like drone racing, it also <laughs> um, uh, it includes management of those type of issues as well. 
so that must be it must be pretty rewarding um you know marching into to 20 sta back in 2005 or 2006 and then you know being the capability manager for the whole capability for army um you know 15 or you know, 12 13 years later um such a massive change change for you from from 2006 uh, completely, yeah. In two thousand six, we were uh, we were experimenting with two um, you know, in use capabilities. Um, we had nothing in service back in back in two thousand uh, and six, and building Australian Army's UAS capability up to a point where when we are now a world leader in the adoption of unmanned aerial systems technology, and uh, that is. Um, immensely fulfilling, um, especially to have walked the path with the capability over the last 14 years. So, uh, and talking about the capability, so I'd be keen to get into, and I'm sure our listeners would be interested as to what were the, the different lines of effort, uh, the different capabilities that you guys were operating with and whether you can tell us, you know, about those capabilities or some, some good news stories that came out of them. Uh, absolutely. Um, so I'll, I'll probably, I'll focus on the first five uh, lines of operation that we ran under the capability realization plan um, and they're, they're reasonably easy to talk about because they they are quite platform centric um, so first a bit of context though while um, while you can generally think about and see the capability as a uh, as an airplane that flies of, of certain specifications the way we treat unmanned aerial systems in Army is about the effects that they generate. So who is uh, operating it and what are the effects that that, uh, that, that unit needs to generate? And that's, that's, that's really uh, quite an easy way to think about these things. Um, and to put it into that context, I can give you a quick burst on it. You know, a platoon, yeah, sure. a platoon of 30 soldiers uh, occupies and is able to influence a couple of kilometres, you know, two, two to three kilometres range is about what 30 soldiers and their weapons and surveillance systems can influence. So we want a drone for a platoon that can give them support out to two to three kilometres. A combat team is the next uh, call sign up, so a company of infantry or a combat team uh, out in the battle space, they can influence five to ten kilometres. So we want to give them an unmanned aerial system, a drone that can support them for that. A battle group, you're talking 30 kilometres worth of influence. Uh, so we want a system of about 30 kilometres range. And then a brigade. A brigade commander is responsible for up to 150 kilometres. Uh, so we want a system that can provide them that. So that's how we, that's how we think about generating uh, those combat effects. It's, it's, it's not directly linked to the aeroplane, but it ultimately manifests itself in a certain type of aeroplane that can deliver those effects. So down at the bottom end, uh, at the platoon or the section level, uh, small team uh, operations, um, we brought into service the Black Hornet. And the Black Hornet is a very small helicopter. It fits in the palm of your hand. Um, it is described as a micro-scale drone, so it's less than 100 grams worth of aircraft, and it flies out to two kilometres. Um, so that's what, that's what we did that. We, we are now the biggest user in the world of the Black Hornet, um, we have uh, 171 systems uh, issued out across Army and every one of those systems has three aircraft in it. Um, and uh, and we're, we're not just the biggest user, but we're the first Army that distributed that kind of technology to the conventional combat platoon. So in the past, 
um, these niche and uh, very um, bespoke pieces of equipment were generally issued to very specialised units, to special forces, to specialised reconnaissance units. Um, we did that under a trial, but we recognised very early that this was very useful to all uh, combat elements. So we did that. We we put in the world's biggest order at the time, and uh, and we issued it to every combat platoon in the Australian Army, and we're we're immensely proud of that. And it is an absolute force multiplier out there in the battle space. Um, so that seems like a massive achievement. So what it effectively says is that every single operator in the army, every single person, soldier in the army could reach out and touch and and use one of these drones after they've been, you know, obviously trained, etc. It's not just a specialised capability that's within artillery only. Yeah, we, we, we don't actually think that drone technology should be specialised. Um, you know, uh, automation and, uh, and usability of these systems and reliability of these systems is now um, at the threshold and past the threshold of this being a, a, a niche capability. It, it should be out there uh, and everybody has access to it. So every platoon commander who, uh, who leaves uh, the Royal Military College now, um, while they're at RMC, they have, they have Black Hornets and they're, they're, they become familiar with uh, Black Hornets in platoon and combat team operations. From the day that they first march into an infantry battalion and are given their first platoon to command, they have a Black Hornet on that uh, equipment establishment. And, uh, and they will have at least two soldiers trained in how to use it. Awesome. Yeah. Huge. Um, and and, and we, we've, we've, we've applied that philosophy to the next level up as well into the combat team. So mm -hmm. uh, Project Land 129 Phase 4 um, has uh, provisioned every combat team in the Australian Army with the WASP. And WASP is a uh, 1.4-kilogram aircraft uh, it flies out to uh, five to seven kilometres, um, day and night camera on board at the same time, um, a bit more training. It's got a bit more capability than the Black Hornet with its range and endurance. So, uh, so Black Hornet was a five-day training course, WASP is a 10-day training course. Um, but every combat team, so every, uh, every officer commanding of an infantry company Every, uh, every OC of a, a cavalry squadron has WASP organic to their unit now and they can see out, to f out past five kilometres with that equipment. And that, uh, that project's almost finished now. So um, Black Hornet finished in 2018. Um, we are about to finish um, the WASP project this year. So every, every team. So that's uh, 67 systems across the Australian Army. So when you say finished, what do you, what do you mean by that? You mean that we've wrapped up the procurement side and it's just in a sustainment now? You don't you don't yeah. mean that, that we're not so, using it anymore. It's still going forward. Oh, that yeah yeah you, you you've got me uh, right. So it's good good clarification. So um so the project is finished. That means we've acquired all the equipment. We've trained uh, all the people to kick off the uh, the capability. All the equipment is out in the units. We have doctrine and uh, procedures in place for how to run it. And it is, uh, it is formally in service, being managed by an in-service uh, sustainment organisation with repair and supply chain contracts uh, with all of that in place. That's a, that's a seven-year life of type. So the WASP will be flying out to the mid-20s. Awesome. Great. So it's a long-term yeah. capability for Army. It's not just a, a short-term thing. 
Absolutely. And, uh, and it's, uh, its replacement project has already been scheduled. So land 129 phase 4B is already scheduled and, uh, and that, uh, that project will be acquiring a replacement um, in a few years' time. Awesome. So yeah. we're at the combat team. What have, what have we got above that? Where uh, are we heading? Uh, so the battle group's above that. So, uh, and to put that into perspective, you know, an infantry battalion is five to 600 soldiers. Um, so, and, and they, they have the ability to influence, uh, you know, 30 kilometres worth of battle space notionally. Uh, so we wanted to buy them a system that is a 20 to 30 kilometre range UAV. Now, uh, a lot of people will be familiar with the Puma UAV that's uh, made by the same people that make Wasp. Um, we have those in use. We have a small quantity of those that we bought to support Operation Pup, uh, APEC Assist in Papua New Guinea in 2018. Uh, we've been experimenting with that platform and, uh, and we uh, ran a project last year to um, to uh, to choose a capability at that scale to come into service. Now, I can't talk too much about that one. Uh, that is in active um, uh, contract negotiation at the moment. But um, but needless to say, we're very close to a decision on that uh, on that platform. And that's a pretty exciting exciting package as well. And we'll roll that out over the next eighteen months. Um, Sitting above that is our oldest UAV, the Shadow 200, uh, oldest uh, in-service UAV. So um, the Brigade Commander's UAV, uh, the Brigade Commander needs to, to see a big battle space. So we uh, have provisioned the battle group, the Brigade Commander with a 100-kilometre UAV. Um, that's the Shadow 200. It's 100 Ks, nine hours per sortie. Essentially, with the system that we've provisioned, we can maintain 24-7, 365, and we've done that at times. Um, we had the Shadow 200 flying in Afghanistan for over two years, and that's, uh, that's what we did with that. It's a big aeroplane, um, but it's big to give it the legs that it needs and to carry the sensors that it, uh, that it carries. So at any time, that platform carries uh, a daytime, a cooled infrared nighttime camera, uh, a package of lasers for, um, for accurate uh, geo-referencing and a communications relay payload at any one time. So it's a very capable platform. Um, I said it's the oldest. We brought that into service in 2011. So it is almost there at its 10-year life of type and we are running a project um, to replace that. Um, very recently announced in, uh, in Defence Media that, um, that we have down-selected in Army to four companies that will compete that contract over the over the course of this year. So that's a pretty exciting project as well to, to be so replacing you, our first ever in-service UAV. And so when do you anticipate that being delivered? When will we see that new UAV in service, do you think? Uh, so we are targeting 23, 24 that will start rolling that system out. Cool. Yeah. Okay, great. And then our, our fifth line of operation that I want to talk about is our multi-rotor uh, line of operation. So um, all the systems that I've talked about so far are tactical military specification systems. Um, read between the lines, they're quite expensive. Um, we, didn't, uh, we didn't choose to roll them out across the entire army just yet because we needed to learn those lessons and continue to iterate. But what we did recognise was that um, non-combat units, uh, like our logistics units, like our signals units, 
um, many, many other different roles could use drone technology. So what we did uh, was we went and bought uh, one of the best commercial systems off the shelf um, and we bought enough of those to roll them out to every unit in the entire army as a experimentation campaign and, uh, and to develop drone literacy, to get the entire army used to drones. Uh, and when I say the whole army, I don't say that lightly. Um, we have rolled it out to the entire army. All the cadets have access to that uh, multi-rotor. Um, all of our reserve units in the second division, every reserve unit have this capability as well, as well as all of our full-time units. So, um, so every, uh, every soldier in the Australian Army, including our cadets, has the opportunity to be exposed to this technology. And as part of that rollout, we train, we've already trained over a thousand operators on the multi-rotor unmanned aerial system. So that, one, uh, that one's really exciting as well as a line of operation. That's a massive project uh, it, to get out across the entire defence force. I'm, it yeah, it is. And, and, happens often. <laughs> and we, we had to partner with industry to do that as well. So um, we developed a training package, uh, but then to help us get in the face of so many soldiers so quickly over, over the space of only six months, um, we did use a, uh, a, a, a civilian company um, to uh, to to roll out that training package. And we visited 11 garrisons around the country in three months. Wow. Uh, so that, that was pretty, pretty cool. And, uh, and I, think, um, I think we can quite legitimately claim that we, we do have a drone literate army at, uh, now. Um, so Kieran uh, Joyce has been pretty busy over the last, uh, the last three <laughs> years. It, it's been a hell of a ride. It's been awesome. And I think um, one of one of your personal, you know, lines of efforts or operations is around the Australian Army drone racing team, which um, won't necessarily talk in a lot of details. We just did a whole podcast on it, but that was obviously another passion of yours and another piece of effort that you've you've applied over the last few years. Come, uh, absolutely, um, and uh, you know, ha have a listen, please, um, because um, uh, I'm I'm sure m the vast majority of your drones for good uh, audience we'll get exactly why we sunk so much effort into that. Mm. So with so much happening over, over you know, multiple years, what, what do you look back on most fondly? What, what do you think were your biggest achievements um, in that role? Uh, so the, the biggest achievement, so number one, proliferation of, um, of the technology. So um, we, we did that, right? So we have over 1,000 drones in inventory, over 1,000 operators, and uh, and you know mash that up with generating a drone literate army. Um, that's that's hands down um, the, the the biggest achievement. Um, the the second one I, I think is about external engagement. So through the drone racing team, through open contracts uh, and open contract solicitations for all of those projects that we ran, um, we absolutely educated. The, uh, the UAV industry, uh, wider defence industry, and, uh, and I think also the Australian public. I think the Australian public is not, um, they're not, they see that uh, Australian Army use of drones is, is useful good. Um, and, yeah, protecting Australian soldiers' lives, helping the Australian Army soldier do their job better is, uh, is something that I think the public appreciates, um, that we're using this technology for and then I think that probably the, the third one that would be in my top three for, for, for highlights would be 
um, just how m much uh, industry innovation we generated over that couple of years because of open contracts, because of open engagement about our needs and concepts for the future, and because we've got a heck of a sovereign industrial drone capability out there within Australia that wants to contribute. Um, so, you know, we don't like to focus on the negatives, I guess, but was there any frustrations you came across over the three years? Any, anything you may want to have done differently or, or anything you didn't enjoy about the role? Uh, yeah, look, there, there is. Um, uh, and bef before, before I, I say what that is, I'll, you know, I'll contextualise it. You know, the reason I love working in this sector and working with this technology and within, with the people that are in it is because it's fast moving, because it's collaborative, because it fosters innovation and because you get big value for money. Um, you know, when you develop a robot aeroplane, it does not cost as much as a manned aeroplane to do the same role. Um, uh, and so so I, I love working in this for those reasons. But my frustration is that some people and some organisations still just don't get it. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, we, we don't need to take five years to develop a project to buy unmanned aerial system or drone technology. Yeah, uh, it's not needed. Um, you, don't, you, sh you shouldn't be buying these platforms to last for a 30-year life of type because it's, it's not part of the core of this industry you know it moves fast if you take five years to go out and buy something it's already old by the time you bring it in, into service um, mm. if you think that um, you're going to sustain a piece of equipment for 30 years that was only ever built to last 10 years then you're, you're missing the point and and some people and some organizations still don't get that i think that that'll come with time um, but, uh, but that's, that's probably my biggest frustration is how often I, I have to, I and, and my team and those of us in the rest of the industry still have to educate everybody else about why, they, uh, why, this, why this sector of industry is, is so important and so good for, um, for all of the aspects of community and life that it touches. And the innovation curve's so steep, so I, I can understand the, the frustrations there when potentially you know, procurement cycles or, or procurement doesn't move quite as quickly as, um, as, as the technology does, particularly in, in drones or autonomous systems um, and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, and uh, so I think, I think you know, we've just got to... You know, I use the term uh, quite frequently that drones are no longer science fiction, they're science fact. They're here, <laughs> yep. they're now, they're a reality. Um, I think uh, I think we just need to continue to educate um, everybody, um, any anybody that needs to know that drones are for good, that um, that we need to educate them towards um, what that reality equals for moving forward, and that equals faster tech cycles. It uh, it it means that they don't need to be thinking about long lives of type. They need to appreciate that these things are cheaper. Um, mm. and, uh, and they can do good things with, uh, with that investment. So noting that you're not in the SO1 UAS role anymore necessarily, um, if, if Kieran Joyce could write the future of, of UAS either in Army or, or more broadly, what do you think that future would look like? Uh, I, 
I don't think I need to write it. I think I think the writing's already on the wall. Um, and uh, to wrap that up into one word, it's more. Um, you know, within uh, I, I said we, that within that portfolio, we're talking about future concepts uh, at the front end of the capability lifecycle. So, Army's already been working in developing concepts for high altitude pseudo satellites and you know ultra long endurance UAVs that uh, through hybrid or solar power plants can stay up for 30 days or 60 days or, well, however long that piece of um, uh, thread is that you want to build into the airplane. Um, you know, that, that technology is now happening in Australia. You know, just in the last 12 months, um, uh, both BAE Systems and Airbus have, uh, have run high-altitude pseudo-satellite experiments here in Australia. Um, we've also been uh, uh, experimenting with concepts around um, logistics drones within uh, within Army, and that is very closely tied to urban mobility in a in a commercial UAV sense. Um, those things, you know, parcel delivery, people delivery via the air, these are things that the, the technology is is a science fact. It's here and now. We can do it. Um, I just think it just we just need to keep chipping away at the safety cases, prove the capabilities, gain trust in the capabilities, and that take-up will equal what I think the future is, which is more, um, more, it, more, yeah. robotic, more robotic systems, more automation, more unmanned aerial systems flying around in, in life. Um, that's, that's where I can see this going. That's why I think um, anybody that wants to get into the drone sector um, is on a pretty good thing because I, I, I can't I can't see it getting yeah less than more. It's just, <laughs> yeah. just going to keep getting bigger, I think. So we uh, we talk a lot on this podcast um, that we're the industry's podcast, we're, we're the drone industry's podcast, and and we're trying to get information out there to people. Now, people that are that are in the industry and potentially developing UAVs or technologies that that move into UAS, etc they could probably find engaging with defence pretty daunting. It, it's a massive beast that's difficult to get into sometimes. What advice would you give, you know, those organisations that are trying to engage with defence or are just not having success engaging with defence? Uh, yeah, so um, I think that used to be the case um, and, and still may be the case in, in many of the defence sectors, but I, I don't think that's the case in unmanned aerial systems anymore. Um, in uh, in 2016, when uh, when we were getting Land 129 Phase 4, the, the small UAS, the WASP, approved, um, we had industry and our seniors ask the question, um, could Australian industry be competing in this space? And we, we ran a study um, and it came uh, back conclusively um, that uh, that. Australian industry could and should be a bigger part of global uh, unmanned aerial systems sector. Um, and since that day, uh, we've had a mandate uh, specifically with that project to, to seed the industry. And we ran a, a really interesting uh, innovation activity in 2017 and 2018 uh, for that. But as, as part of the bigger picture, we've, um, we've been actively... Uh, engaging with the Australian aviation and more specifically the unmanned aerial systems uh, industry. Um, how do we do that? Well, we're, we're kind of blessed here in Australia that we have a, um, 
a really um, solid foundation of an industry body. So the Australian Association for Unmanned Systems um, is recognised as the industry body for unmanned systems here in Australia. Um, and we have an agreement with AAUS. We, Defence, Defence has an agreement with AAUS that while our primary um, mechanism for engagement, just like everything else in Defence, is Austender, um, uh, we will have a, uh, a proactive stance on engagement in unmanned aerial systems. And what that looks like is uh, AAUS run uh, four to five conferences every two years um, in support of its membership. Uh, what that looks like is Defence is at every single one of those conferences. Defence is briefing at every single one of those conferences. And it's not, you know, just Army. Um, we're talking about uh, Army, Navy and Air Force, um, a briefing on our projects and our concepts that we want explored, where we think innovation's at, our regulators brief at the um, RPAS in Australian Skies conference, our science and technology people contribute. Um, we're, we're, we're very proactive in getting our concepts and our, um, and our projects out there. And we have one of the largest innovation portfolios within the Defence Innovation Hub. Um, so the Innovation Hub's been running for three years now. Um, it has uh, brought in, I think the last figures was almost 700 submissions from Australian industry. About 15% of those are in unmanned aerial systems technology. And, uh, and what we have ultimately seen on that path is that uh, we've we've now uh, so Army UAS uh, have actively managed sixteen contracts, sixteen innovation contracts worth more than twenty million dollars now over the last couple of years. Wow. And um, I think that's 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 where I can say with absolute confidence that if you want to be part of uh, defence unmanned aerial systems, engage with us through AAUS, attend the conferences. Um, engage through the member forums um, and, uh, and just pick our brains because we'll do um, deliberate proactive briefings at that but we'll also have many, many discussions on the side and we're quite happy through the Innovation Hub to assess any good idea that Defence has. And um, I, I, can, I can tell you that in those three years, I assessed more than 170 assessments that came into, uh, uh, came into the Innovation Hub. So... I think comms is good um, mm. in our sector and, uh, and I ab absolutely encourage it to keep up because um, Australia does uh, have a legitimate future in playing in the global unmanned aerial system space. And I certainly echo your, your comments about AUS. Um, and for people who aren't members, get across to aus.org.au. Reach out to the uh, Executive Director, Greg Tyrrell, or, or Sally or the team at AUS and, um, and get on board. They, they run some fantastic events. Look, one last, um, one last question for you, Kieran, before we um, wrap this up to put you on the spot. So um, you've been through Skylark, Scan Eagle, Shadow, Black Hornet, Wasp, Puma, et cetera, et cetera. Which is your favourite UAS across the whole, uh, oh, the whole sort of portfolio? Ooh. <laughs> uh, look, uh, can, uh, can I pick two? Sure, take two. Uh, uh, so the multi-rotor uh, is definitely in the top two, and that's because it has enabled the army to think about UAVs, um, to become drone literate. 
Um, it, it's not a tactical system. We, we, we don't, we don't employ it on operations. Um, so we don't get any of those combat effects out of it, but, uh, as an army, the, uh, the Phantom four has enabled us to generate an army that is future ready. Um, everybody in the army can think about drones now. And I think that's really cool. Uh, the second one's Black Hornet. Uh, that's my favorite tactical system. Um, you know, down to a pair of soldiers now out two kilometers, they can, they can, they, they can protect themselves. They don't have to stick their own head up over a hill or around a corner in a street. They can send a robot to do that now and stay safer. And when they find something, they can, they can provide a 10-figure grid reference for what that thing is. And that means that you know, a, a, a soldier armed with this piece of equipment um, now has a force multiplying effect that we used to have to throw uh, an entire team at. And, and that and that capability is now resident in every platoon in the Australian Army. So um, it, it, Black Hornet took us forward a generation in surveillance and reconnaissance in Army. So it, it, it'd be a toss-up between those two. <laughs> well, I'm, taking, uh, I'm going to take Scan Eagle purely because uh, it was the first system that I was trained on. It was the first system we took into Afghanistan and um, or the first system I took into Afghanistan. And, and I feel it's where Army sort of cut its teeth on a lot of these uh, on UAV concepts and PTBs and SOPs. So there we go. There's our, there's our three. Yeah. Hey, um, Kieran, thanks so much for, for your time. Uh, not only earlier in, in a podcast we recorded on the Australian Army drone racing team, but also talking about your role as SO1 um, and aerial systems in Army headquarters. Um, you, you're an inspiration across the, across the industry, um, to be honest. A lot of people... You know, look up to you, and, and that was um, that was recognised last year as with the Leadership Awards, um, part of the AUS Awards as well. So, um, thank you for your um, dedication to, to what you've done so far, and uh, you know, I, I enjoy talking to you about this stuff. So, thanks so much. Um, you're pretty prolific on Twitter. Do you want to throw your handle out there and, and get people to engage with you? Uh, yeah, sure. So, I mean, um, uh, I, I push everything out that I think is interesting or that Defence is doing um, on my Twitter handle, Kieran Joyce. Um, and, uh, I also try and pick the big ones to write up about on LinkedIn as well. So, um, if you're just interested in following what, uh, what's going on, uh, in defense, uh, formally, or just what I'm thinking about, uh, about the sector in defense, um, please, please follow That'd be fun. Awesome. Um, thanks so much again, Kieran. I will, uh, we'll push this out to the, uh, the audience and, and see if we get some questions we can throw back to you as well. Um, Hopefully we can catch up later in the year about your role within, within Air Force potentially or, or circle back around and just talk more broadly about the industry um, later on. That'd be fun. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening, ladies and gents. Um, and we'll be back with you shortly. Cheers. Cheers.